Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of In the Ring. I'm your host, Acacia Clement, as we get ready for opening weekend at Caneland. When I recorded this podcast and these interviews, it was prior leading up to uh, the opening weekend, but of course, some tremendous racing on tap and excited to hear a little bit of insight on that. Also, a little bit of insight on a little bit more of the the global stage um, of horse racing and sales. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I really enjoyed uh, recording it with my two fantastic guests. Um, I am currently back in New York now. It is much colder than it was in Florida, so that has taken me a little bit of adjustment, but I'm looking forward to being part of the Wood Memorial coverage and, of course, all of the great things coming up in New York, and this time I'm here to stay with the New York Racing Association, so excited for that next chapter and excited to continue on with this show as we lead into really the very busy spring season around the country and around the world. So uh, get comfortable and enjoy today's episode of In the Ring. Very happy to be joined now by Chip McGahey, Keeneland Sales Associate at Chip. I know it is a very busy time for you, busy weekend coming up uh, with the spring meet, and of course the April sale, and we'll get into all of that. But um, first of all, tell me, what's what's the buzz right now at Keeneland? What's that excitement like leading into the start of spring racing? Uh, just uh, the return of racing to Keeneland and Luckily, we're going to be able to open up and essentially go back to pretty much normal from before 2020. So I think everybody's really excited. It's been a, I know you've been down in Florida, but it's been a pretty rough winter here in Kentucky. So everyone sees the warm weather and temperatures changing. So we're happy to be able to kick off our race meet and then kind of get rolling into Kentucky Derby Week and continue on. Opening day, Friday, April 8th, the Friday and Saturday cards are, are drawn. So, of course, you have, you know, the three-year-olds in the spotlight with the Ashland on Friday and the boys in the bluegrass on Saturday. Some tremendous cards of racing. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the things offered this week and, and throughout the meet. Yeah, so like I said, I mean, we're, we're happy to be able to kind of host a lot bigger crowds this meet, but... Um, kind of kicking it off with the Ashland and then you got the return of the um I'm sorry the Lafayette stakes as well um hadn't run that for a while but I think it's a good segue for three-year-old Colts that maybe don't want to go that mile and an eighth distance so hopefully that can kind of be a good uh good bridge to gap into the more sprinting series for three-year-olds and obviously it's evident that people supported it being that they got 12 entries for it so mm -hmm. Um, but no, it'll be good. I mean, we're going to be a little hampered by the weather this weekend, but it wouldn't be a normal Keeneland spring opening weekend without <laughs> the colder temperatures, but they're still going to show up and they're still going to be running. So we're looking forward to it. Obviously racing is in your blood. You, you know, you grew up around the track. Tell me a little bit about the path that brought you to your current role with Keeneland. Yeah. So, um, so just obviously growing up with my father and then uncle was a trainer. My mother was a trainer for a short stint. When my parents got divorced, we would have to sleep in the back of the car when she was training horses on Rice Road at Keeneland. So Keeneland's always had a very special place in my heart just growing up here in central Kentucky and everything that it's done for my family and my dad getting his start here as well. And just, uh, you know, so I mean, I, I knew I didn't necessarily want to go the training route. Um, that was kind of kind of a uh, known, but I also knew that I wanted to be involved in some capacity and I was doing kind of odds and ends things. And then I 
when we first met doing the America's Best Racing kind of tour and then the following year kind of overseeing that program. And then one afternoon I left my desk and I came back and I had a voicemail from former president Bill Thomason at Keeneland um, asking to have lunch and kind of the rest is history just came in um, and was able luckily enough to be offered the position to work here at Keeneland and just to kind of taken the ball and run with it. I've been here seven years now and kind of do a lot of our international market development, particularly in Asia. Um, so lucky enough pre-COVID to be able to travel to all those fun countries um, all the way over there, including Turkey and some others as well. But then um, I oversee all of our marketing and then um, just kind of build those relationships with owners and buyers and sellers and try to get the best horses we can to sell at Keeneland, be their yearlings, weanlings, and um, broodmares off the racetrack and everything in between. Tell me a little bit about how important that international aspect is. Like you said, getting the best horses here to Keeneland, but also attracting the big buyers internationally as well um, with the stock that's offered. Yeah, so I mean, Keeneland's kind of known around the world. We're the world's largest thoroughbred auction company. So when you do travel to some of these regions, they may not know where Kentucky is, but they do know what know what Keeneland is. So mm -hmm. that always helps to be able to represent such a good organization and sales company like that. But they also know that a lot of the success that they've had has been through mares they've, that have been purchased and imported into their countries or through racing stock that's come over there. So all it takes is a couple big ones. And then the hopefully the goal is that the buyers will come back. But I mean, you see with Kind of Japan, for example, a lot of their investment internationally was right here at Keeneland. Um, they started off, obviously, they bought Sunday Silence and um, privately as their stallion, and he really jump-started things. But kind of all the bigger groups over there realized buying these well-bred broodmares and big race mares off the track really works for their programs. And now we're starting to really see the um, rewards reap from that and that mm -hmm. they've been winning in Hong Kong. They've had a very good international presence, but really beginning, we've had some Japanese in the Breeders' Cup and in America, but really beginning last year, I think everyone really started taking notice with Love's Only You and, um, and everything that she kind of brought to the table. Obviously, she was a group one winner before that. But going in there and having such a game performance that she did for trainer Mr. Yahagi and then Katsumi bought her dam from us uh, out of our Keeneland November sale so it's obviously worked out well for him and his family and we saw the results in the November sale afterwards and that Katsumi was very happy and came and bought a bunch more mares to bring back. <laughs> And that's all how it is, right? And um, yeah. obviously, there, there's so much that goes into prepping for these sales, but largely, and I think that this holds true in racing in general, it really is about those relationships. How important is it for you and your position in forming those relationships, like you said, internationally, in Kentucky, in the US, whatever it may be? Of course. So, um, like you said, I mean, I, I think the relationships, especially in the sales game, is very important in that we're all a part of this together and that the more successful someone else is, the more successful we're going to be here at Keeneland. And I don't necessarily think of it just as a, myself as a salesperson per se, but I like to be the guy that if you have anything that you need, you call me and we'll get it done. And then obviously when um, time comes to sell your horses, we hope that at the end of the day, you'll choose Keeneland to make sure that uh, 
make sure that when they go through the ring that they go through the ring here of course uh, coming up the big race meet and the spring meet kicking things off all the excitement two-year-old racing all of that and then there's also an april sale which i think sometimes people forget about too um will you tell me a little bit about what we can expect in that april sale at keeneland yeah, so uh, we brought it back several years ago and COVID had a little bit of disruption on it, but last year we had the sale again and we've just really tried to hone in on that market. It's everybody wants a racehorse now and a lot of people necessarily don't need to want to wait for one too. And if you do have a horse that um, has been successful on the track, you can easily just put it in the sale and make a good return and that'll pay for a bunch of yearlings down the road as well. So, um, but no, it has been good. We've been hitting the road, trying to drum up interest. I know the buyers will be there and just make sure that we get the right type of horses to come in here. The racing in Kentucky is as strong in the country as it is anywhere else right now. With We have $100,000 maidens. Churchill's going to have $120,000 maidens. Alice Parks meets very strong. Kentucky Downs is incredibly strong. So having a Kentucky bred uh, with that suffix and breeding and KTDF registered is a very valuable commodity. So maybe some of these horses that don't work out other places, they can come here and make uh, – uh, well, I don't mean don't work out, but there are very lucrative purses um, in Kentucky to go after here. So uh, Kentucky bread is very sought after. So April horses of racing age sale Friday, April 29th. And um, how much of an impact do you think it, it has in the timing of this sale with the spring meet and kind of right on the heels of that and all of that excitement? Yeah, very much so. I mean, like you said, everyone's really excited about us getting going racing. And then right at the end of it, it goes immediately into Kentucky Derby week. So we wanted to kind of, we wanted to capitalize on having it tied into the race meet. So we chose this year, instead of having it the Monday of Derby week, we backed it up and we're going to have it on um, Friday, April 29th, which is our last day of racing. I think the last post is around 5 p.m. At 6.30 p.m., the, hopefully the first horse will go through the ring. That's when we'll start the sale and just kick it off. I mean, it's not going to be like our September sale, which is 4,000 and change horses cataloged. It's going to be uh, smaller and a little more select. But we're hoping to kind of everybody can come out, have a good day at the races, and then come on down and experience something, too, that's kind of all tied together. So just hoping to capitalize off the excitement of the race meet into the sale as well. Other places, like obviously the they have the sale right before Royal Ascot as well as the one before the ARC meeting um, in France. So hopefully that you can kind of tie in some of the owners and trainers that are here on our grounds. They don't have to drive from Louisville or Florida or anywhere like that. They can just walk down to our sales pavilion, which is about 100 yards from the grandstand at Keeneland. A lot happening at Keeneland in the month of April, but I know that you never stop looking towards the next thing that's coming up. And tell me a little bit about the day-to-day -day for you and um, how you're preparing for all of the, the next big events and the next things happening with Keeneland. Of course, and uh, it never ends, always recruiting. <laughs> so, I mean, kind of right now, the big thing is, is everyone's getting ready for our entries for our September yearling sale just opened. Mm -hmm. So they'll start to try to get those. We've been meeting with consigners and breeders and going over their stock and seeing what's out there. And then hopefully once the entry deadline comes, we'll get those in the sale and then start putting the catalog together, which is a massive undertaking considering it's a uh, almost two week sale with, like I said, 4,000 and change horses, 
get that together and then um, keep on rolling. But also the entire time we're trying to recruit mayors, things like that for November, January, um, even out of the race meet right now, whenever something runs well, we're obviously going to go try to talk to the owners and trainers to try to see if they will supplement into the April sale, because we're not going to be bound just by the entries that we have right now. Um, we're going to try to pick up additional ones and hopefully we can get something a little later that'll have a very good update and will be very sought after. Of course, Keeneland has such a strong name and brand recognition already, but how important is that recruiting piece of it? Oh, of course. I mean, Keeneland's so tied into the kind of infrastructure here in central Kentucky, all the breeding farms are around us. The majority of all the racehorses in the entire United States comes from just in a 30 mile radius right around here. So um, it is very important. Obviously the sales and racing is how we make the majority of um, our income, but we're a for-profit company with a not-for-profit mission. So all the funds that we make is going back into the industry, be it through purses, charitable donations, different initiatives. There's no, uh, there's no dividends paid out to anybody. Nobody owns Keeneland per se. So all that money is going straight back into the pockets of owners and breeders. So hopefully when they know that when they're doing business with us and when they're bringing us horses to sell that we are making a commission off of, they know that that money is going to be reinvested in order to make everything more lucrative for everyone. It's not just about us. We're, we're here as a service to everybody in the um, thoroughbred industry. And of course, uh, you know, I saw a lot of, um, I saw something online the other day talking about the impact that horse racing has on the Kentucky economy, on the community. And I feel like Keeneland is such a big interwoven piece of that as well. And I love how you talk about the side of everything going back into the industry. Um, it, it seems like everybody that works there really has that mindset as well. Yeah, I mean, this is this is what it's all about. I mean, we all want, like I said, we, we're all partners in everything together. We want everyone to succeed. Um, we care about the thoroughbred, the animal, and the racing industry as a whole, the breeding industry as a whole. And so when things do happen that are negative in our industry, we obviously want to make sure that things don't happen in the future. So we, we're very invested in making sure that all of these things, no matter what we're doing through the race meet or sales or anything else, are kind of tied into that core mission of doing what's best for Central Kentucky and the industry. Even, I mean, just how much the race meet supports the local businesses, the hotels, the restaurants downtown. I tried to get reservations for a restaurant restaurants downtown and everything's booked out. So <laughs> you can tell the excitement's here if you can't get any dinner reservations. So... <laughs> Always a good sign, too, meaning that everybody is uh, bound to have a good time. Uh, well, Chip, can't wait to watch all of the exciting racing coming up this weekend and throughout the meet. Wishing you all uh, the best of luck with the uh, the racing season kicking off and, and, of course, with the sale as well. Thanks so much for taking the time. No, appreciate it. Best of luck to you all up there in New York as well. And it's going to be a great weekend with so many good races uh, on card between us, New York and uh, California, it's going to be a lot of fun.
Very happy to have a special guest joining me now, uh, Kate Hunter, Marugai Racing. And you may have seen Kate just all over the world over the past <laughs> uh, few months, it seems, with so much incredible success. So really excited to get a little insight into all of the, the great success on the international stage that we've seen of Japanese racing and Japanese bloodstock. Um, Kate, I am so excited to pick your brain a little bit today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, no, my, my pleasure. Um, first of all, tell me a little bit about the role that you serve as a liaison um, between some, some big companies such as Keeneland, such as the Breeders' Cup, some of these big races and, and sales companies that we see with uh, Japanese racing and, and Japanese entities. Um, well, basically, I am, uh, well, I, I don't really have a title or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a recruiter. I'm a coordinator. I'm a, I'm a, any, anything they need me to be in the moment, they need me to be it. Um, so my, my job is to try and bring Japanese to the United States, either to buy horses. I, I work exclusively for Keeneland when it comes to sales. Um, so bring Japanese over to buy either at Keeneland or to race and pretty much the majority of the, the major racetracks here in the United States, um, New York, Breeders' Cup, Keeneland, uh, Churchill Downs. Um, triple crown those things and um, so when when I finally get a horse that's interested in coming I help coordinate their trip um, I travel over with them and then I assist the Japanese connections with anything they might need to help the trip go smoothly so that they can either you know take their trophies and prize money and go home um, <laughs> or at least feel fully supported during their entire stay in the United States. And I have to imagine it's not easy to get horses to the United States or to wherever they may be going. Will you tell me a little bit about some of the, the steps that it takes to have a Japanese horse run in the U.S. or elsewhere? Well, I mean, um, like, well, like with, I mean, it's pretty much it's probably fairly similar to Europeans, but it might be a little, little stricter because they have to go into a, a quarantine for um, about a week before they fly. So, but most of the Japanese, the JRA facilities have their own quarantine barns that the horses can go in. Um, so they quarantine for about a week separated from the general population. Um, they'll train at special hours as well, um, much, much earlier, much to the chagrin of all of the, the grooms. Um, <laughs> but then, the, then they'll travel over and it can take, you know, nine hours, which if you're going to the West coast, but it can take a whole lot more than that. Um, if you're traveling over to the East coast, it can take 16 hours or so, depending on where they need to stop. They usually fly from Tokyo to Anchorage from Anchorage, they'll, they'll refuel. And then they'll probably, ideally they would fly to maybe Chicago and then van down to, let's say the, for the Breeders' Cup this year, van down to, um, Keeneland. Mm-hmm. A lot of steps in in having the opportunity to get here, and we saw such huge huge success for Japan at the Breeders' Cup this past year at Del Mar with Marsh Lorraine and Loves Only You, which was uh, I remember standing right on the rail and getting a chance to see the connections reactions when Loves Only You won. Uh, tell me a little bit about that moment, about that weekend, and how validating it was for all of the work and getting here and all the support that the the Japanese connections have shown to an event like the Breeders' Cup? Uh, well, it, it's been really rewarding. I've, I've been working with the Breeders' Cup since 2016, and I brought over my first horse, Nervo uh, Record, uh, to Santa Anita that year. And unfortunately, she didn't run particularly well. Um, but the next couple of years, 
we had some of their flight issues and other things. So we weren't able to get any Japanese horses over, but lots of, lots of them had interest. And so there were horses that were, that we were in talks with to try and get them to come over. And there were a few hurdles that we weren't able to overcome, but then, you know, like uh, Hideyuki Mori has been very supportive sending two over the past couple of years as well. He sent four last year. So the, the interest of the Japanese to, to participate in the Breeders' Cup has been just overwhelming mm-hmm. um, since I started working for them. And it's been, so it was really, really, it was a huge highlight of, of easily, easily a highlight of my career, even though it's still mm-hmm. kind of new, um, but of my life even to, to be able to win at the Breeders' Cup. Because I remember watching it, I think it was back in 2000, 1997 was the first Breeders' Cup I ever saw on TV. And um, that, you know, I was just this little middle school student and I just absolutely just thought it was amazing. So to be able to be standing on that rail when the horse crosses the finish line, a horse that you helped bring over and support the whole way. Um, it, it was, it was really, really nice. And to see how happy the owners and the trainers were, um, crying and hugging and all that stuff. It, it was, um, I mean, that, that's basically my job is to make sure that they can get here and then attain that success that they're mm-hmm. looking for. And so like that, it, it was, it was absolutely amazing. And then we saw that success really continue on Saudi cup night and then just a- absolute dominance on Dubai world cup night. It seemed, um, Tell me a little bit about that and and why do you think we are seeing so much of that success on display right now? Um, yeah, Saudi Saudi was a lot of fun um, getting four wins there. Mm-hmm. And the, the other horses on the um, who also raced, I think we had uh, we had a second, I think two thirds and two fourths even. So like it was a really it was a really good day. Um, everyone was able to go home, go home thinking that they, they did pretty well. It was the same at the, at, at Dubai with the five wins, we still had several places and, uh, several thirds and a, a couple fourths. So like everyone, it was, is a good, good group of guys that were there this year, even though there's so many horses, 12 in Saudi and then 22 in Dubai. Wow. Um, so but like it was, um, I just, I'll, I'm just the quarantine coordinator over there. So I make sure they get everything they need, all the horsemen and stuff are taken care of and for, for both of the organizations. And it was, it was great to see such a, a outstanding performance. Cause I, I did the quarantine the year before for both events and we didn't have quite as much, um, so, some, as many thrills last year as we did this year. So it was, it was a big, big, uh, uh, enjoyable month and a half that I spent in the Middle East watching all the Japanese uh, scrounge together all their trophies and um, all, all that money. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but I think right now what we're seeing is, you know, especially, I think it was probably hampered a little bit by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I think if you look back to like 2019, even like they had in 2019, we had more horses come to the United States than ever before. Um, and even going into just the beginning of the pandemic, Dubai was about to have their, a record number of horses going to Dubai. I think they had 13 um, that actually flew all the way to Dubai before it got canceled. Yeah. So I think really it, it, this, the, the, the pandemic put a dent in what was already gearing up to be probably a really epic decade of just Japanese traveling abroad with, with quality horses looking to you know basically go big yeah. and i think that that's that's what we're seeing right now is the things finally opening up relaxing to the point where they're able to go out and actually take you know take care of some serious business 
I think one thing that really fascinates me too is how strong Japanese bloodstock is. We do see a, a lot of Japanese interest, and you remember you mentioned your relationship with Keeneland and a lot of strength coming from Japanese buyers at those sales, but also breeding over in Japan as well. Um, will you talk a little bit about that and how that has an, a huge impact, certainly, on the success? Well, absolutely. I mean, Japan, I think, is a great little microcosm of exactly what basically every breeder anywhere in the world is trying to do, where you get together the, the best bloodstock you can find and breed it to the best bloodstock you can find and then hope for the best. Um, and they've been able to, I think, both with, with the success of their racing industry, that has allowed them to accumulate enough um, money to then go out and use that money to buy better and better bloodstock. Um, so the, the, it's got a very healthy racing industry. So there's really high prize money. So that prize money goes to, you know, directly to the owners and then those owners, and they even have um, financial benefits. They can go to breeders as well. Mm -hmm. So these breeders are getting extra money so that they can then, and then, you know, these owners are getting extra money. So they're able to spend more money on, buying those local domestic horses, which gives the breeders more money to then be able to go to these sales like Keeneland November sale or January sale and buy even better brood mares. And so it's kind of the opposite of a vicious cycle. It's, it's a great cycle. It's, it's yeah. this perfect little circle that keeps going and keeps chugging along because they have a healthy um, betting system, um, uh, ecosystem in Japanese racing right now, where they're able to just kind of funnel that money around in the, in the right areas whether they're then able to use it to buy better mares, make better horses, sell them for better prices, then go buy even a better mare. Um, and I, you, you see that both on the, the smaller scale, the farms where you've only got, you know, maybe five to 20 mares. And then even on, on, the, on the greater scale with the Yoshida family, um, with Terio Yoshida, Katsumi Yoshida, the Shaddai in Northern Farm, mm -hmm. um, where they buy like the, the famous mares and bring them over, or they, you know, they're the family that brought over Sunday Silence. Yeah. And so they've been able to cultivate a great group of domestic, strong domestic stallions, mm -hmm. and then go out and buy the best mares in the world and breed them to them. And then they're able to then hopefully from there make really strong domestic broodmares and or more even better domestic stallions. It really is so incredible what has been accomplished as far as the breeding scene in Japan. And I know that you have some experience working um, as a communications manager for a farm in Japan as well. Will, will you tell me a little bit about that experience and how that has really helped in, in your knowledge and, and with your current role in, in doing all of the facilitations that you do? Uh, yes, I worked for Paka Paka Farm for about three and a half years. Um, selling horses and assisting them with um, uh, various aspects of kind of like building their brand. Mm -hmm. And um, during that time, what was really beneficial for me, cause I, I had never, I hadn't been, I was a photographer and like a freelance journalist a little bit before that. So it, I, I was really, I got tossed in the deep end a little bit, <laughs> but I was able to, I had to go to the training centers every, sing, every single week. I had to go racing every single weekend. And so I got to meet and get to know trainers and owners on a very um, intense, sudden daily schedule scale that really allowed me to build the kind of connections that I needed, especially for the job I have now, to be able to, you know, be able to walk up to them or be able to call them and be like, hey, you've got this really great, you know, mayor, why don't you bring them over to the Breeders' Cup or 
or, you know, hey, you've, you've done really well in Dubai. Why don't you, you know, bring this horse over to the Kentucky Derby? Now you've got your points. And so I, it, it helped me build the relationships that I think are, are necessary when it comes to recruiting for other racing events. Will you tell me a little bit about your background? Obviously, you're fluent in Japanese. You have really been a, a real globe trotter. How did you end up being involved uh, with Japanese racing to the to the level that you are? Um, well, when I was in middle school, I was babysitting this uh, really unruly kid who <laughs> the only time he'd be quiet was when he watched TV and. So we ended up watching, I think, Cartoon Network, and there was Japanese cartoons on at the time. I was babysitting them all the time, and I think it was Sailor Moon. It was just, it, it was such a convoluted, intense story that it <laughs> kind of drew me in. And I went online, and I found, back in the dial-up era, and you could actually buy videotapes with, in Japanese with English subtitles. And so I went online, and I, I bought a bunch of those, and I just thought Japanese was amazing sounding. I thought it was the most beautiful language I'd ever heard and I really wanted to learn it. Um, so basically from that age, I decided that learning Japanese was something I wanted to do because I didn't want to be the person in a room with someone in between me and the other person I'm trying to work with. I wanted to be the person who could actually do the job. Um, so I decided I wanted to learn Japanese so I could, so I didn't need a translator. Um, and so that, that I, whatever I decided to do, I could just go do it with Japan. Um, and about the same time um, I got into horse racing, my dad put me down in front of the Kentucky Derby, the year Silver Charm won. And I watched all of the pre-race stuff, all the interviews. And I just, I fell in love with Bob and Beverly Lewis and, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, Baffert's charisma and just Silver Charm himself, how, how tough of a horse he was. And that kind of, that got me into horse racing. And then when I was in Japan, um, studying abroad one year in college, Silver Charm got sold to Japan. And that's how I found out about Japanese horse racing in a more literal sense, because I was already there. Mm -hmm. I'd read about it a little bit in the Blood Horse, but I was in Japan and said, oh, Silver Charm got sold over here. Well, I really should go check out Japanese horse racing. So I went to Tokyo Racetrack for the first time, was blown away by the size and scale. And so after I graduated and um, I decided that I couldn't really find anything at dealing with Japan that I enjoyed enough, so I figured I'd go to Japan, teach English, because that's the easiest way to get over there on a visa, <laughs> and see if there wasn't anything in Japanese horse racing. And uh, lo and behold, there was. So there, the rest is kind of history. But um, to clarify, I would never consider myself fluent, unfortunately. Um, I think learning a second language, especially one as difficult as Japanese, right. there will always be a learning curve. And I, I don't know if I'll ever be perfect, but um, every 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 trip every outing every day i always i learn learn new things and i i get better so ho hopefully hopefully one day i'll i'll uh, earn the moniker of fluent but i definitely wouldn't award myself the fluency at this point well it is amazing what you have accomplished too and and so admire everything that you've done and um it, it isn't an easy language and it isn't easy to be successful in another country no matter what you do and i haven't had the privilege of getting to go to Japan and everybody has told me that racing in Japan is like nothing else. Um, you mentioned the size and just the, the scale of racetracks and, and the way that people view racing in Japan is very different than what we would see on a regular basis here in the United States. Yeah, I feel like the, the Japanese fan base, I mean, you, you've, you've got your, you know, you, you, you'll have the group of guys that just go there and just like will sit in the hallways 
with their their betting slips and their papers and it, they'll they'll just be you know hammering away bet, betting <laughs> all day long um, but you've got a, a whole large group of people now who are are enjoying it just as any other sport like the, the jockeys are, are stars the horses are the stars so like these are people who are actually enjoying a day out at the races those they still bet which is the, the great thing they mm -hmm. might not be betting a lot but there's more of them and so all together it it ends up being um really really great J japan's done a wonderful job of building um their racetracks to be really family friendly lots of activities for children um, they also work really hard to target women so that women can come and enjoy themselves at the races um, as well. And is they've really built a, a really rich atmosphere that, you know, young, old, um, single, married, like it doesn't, or kids or no kids, it doesn't really matter. You can go and you can have a really um, enjoyable time at the races. And it's, it's a wonderful atmosphere and everyone's really supportive. And that, that's one of the things that I think I, I've really been lucky and benefited from is how supportive the Japanese horsemen are, mm -hmm. um, both both of me and, and of anyone who's interested in Japanese horsing. They're so appreciative of those who, who show interest and in, are, are, want to come over and, and, and see things and learn more about Japan. Um, like uh, Terio Yoshida, who's the owner of Crown Pride, mm -hmm. uh, he was kind enough to help. He, he wrote a, a lovely letter uh, for my permanent residency application in Japan. To, just talking about how, how beneficial I could be to the Japanese racing and the president of the JRA wrote a really lovely letter as well. So like they, they understand the importance of both reaching out globally yeah. and developing themselves domestically. And they, they try really hard to do both. And I've been lucky enough to be a recipient of that kindness. Um, and I think there's pr probably in the future, there'll be many, many more people who will also uh, get that opportunity. How important do you think it is that the rest of the world, I think there was always a knowledge that Japan did things the right way when it came to breeding and racing, but really showing that these Japanese horses and Japanese trainers connections are succeeding on the world stage and being able to to show that um, in these big events like the Dubai World Cup, like the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, I think for a long time, the Japanese were probably a bit of a write off like they they'd they just kind of like, oh, it's, it's one of those Asian countries, perhaps. Um, but I think it's they finally built up the base. I mean, it's, it's with, with any breeding operation, it takes a while to really get it going. But it's, it's so big and so powerful now. And they're traveling more and more. And the world is globalized to this point where I think you, you can't really ignore, you can't write off the Japanese anymore, um, both because they're, they're, they're winning all the races, um, but they're also traveling in mass. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, you've got, you know, you had your England and your Ireland that always travel and, and we're really dominant all over the place. And I think, uh, you know, this, this, the next decade or two are, are going to be um, more about Japan. So what is next on the agenda for you now that we've gotten through the Dubai World Cup? What are some of the things coming up that you're working on at the moment? Um, I'm currently in uh, Louisville with Crown Pride, the winner of the mm -hmm. UA Derby. Um, we're going to take on the Kentucky Derby next. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on how that goes, there's, you know, obviously two more, two more jewels in that triple crown um, to consider as well. Um, after that, there's always, I always, you'll be looking to, I, I really want to go to Saratoga. So I'm definitely looking for a horse to, to take over here for the oh, spring over cool. here for the summertime. Um, I would love a trip to Saratoga. Um, 
and there's also the the turf series that Belmont mm -hmm. and Saratoga have up in New York that I think would fit uh, several horses probably in Japan. Um, and then after that would be the Keeneland Sales and the Breeders' Cup. Always moving forward in the sport of horse racing. Um, Kate, it was so fun getting a chance to hear a little bit about what you do and uh, to hear your side of things and pick your brain a little bit today. Thank you so much for coming on and wishing you all the best with the Kentucky Derby and all the big things coming up in the rest of the year. Thank you so much for having me. And that wraps up another episode of In the Ring. Very grateful to Chip McGahey and Kate Hunter. Uh, great insight from both of them. And especially interesting to hear uh, Kate's take and uh, firsthand experience watching that kind of rise and dominance we've seen as a Japanese racing entity. So I hope that you found it as interesting uh, and engaging as I did. Both of our guests this week talking about Keeneland opening weekend. That brings us to our next, next topic, which is the Keeneland roundup a big thank you to our friends at Keeneland for their support of this show Saturday April 9th Keeneland will offer three pick fives on the card including an all stakes pick four and pick five featuring the Toyota Bluegrass which is a grade one the grade one Madison grade two Shaker Town grade two Appalachian presented by the Japan Racing Association and the grade three Commonwealth also returning this spring the Keeneland turf pick three which is offered on the last three turf races Races of the day. As always, Keeneland offers big pools and full fields for betters. Throughout the meet, there'll be 19 stakes worth a total of $7.7 million action packed throughout the entire meet. And just want to remind everybody that new Keeneland Select accounts will receive a special $100 back after they wager $200 on Keeneland Racing this April. Wager a total of $300 in the first 30 days, and you can earn another $100 back with the standard sign up bonus. So so $300 on Keeneland Spring Meet equals $200 back for new accounts. You can use promo code ITM22. Get best of luck to everybody who will be playing, watching Keeneland on their opening weekend or wherever you may be tuning in with some huge uh, Kentucky Derby prep races around the country. And that's it for now. We'll see you next time on In the Ring. Thank you so much for joining me.